The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. I have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, As we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to turn our attention once again on the Tom Sumner Program to water with the authors of a uh, new book called The Water Defenders, How Ordinary People Saved a Country from Corporate Greed. It's by Robin Broad and John Cavana, and they they both join me by phone. Robin, John, uh, welcome. Thank you, Tom. It's it's a delight to be here. Yeah, um, great to be here, Tom. Yeah. You know, nobody. Uh, <laughs> uh, this show is based in Flint, Michigan, and uh, nobody knows about water struggles more than the residents of Flint. Um, I would imagine, but you turned your attention with this book to um, El Salvador. How come? Well, first of all, let me say, when John and I <coughs> were, were getting ready for the, your show today, we realized that the title of our book could well be, it could be a book about Flint. We didn't happen to write a book about Flint, but The Water <laughs> Defenders, How Ordinary People Saved a Country or a City from Corporate Greed, that's Flint, as, as your listeners know better than I do. But truly, it was either serendipity or fate that we ended up be writing a book about about El Salvador after a decade of being involved with people in El Salvador. We are not experts on El Salvador. Um, We never expected to spend our decade of our lives this way, but John's organization, the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C., selected a national network of Salvadoran water defenders to win the Institute's prestigious Human Rights Award in 2009. Five water defenders 
came to Washington, D.C., five people from El Salvador came to Washington, D.C. in October 2009. Um, three months before the award ceremony, we received the shocking news that one of the five, teacher and cultural worker Marcelo Rivera, had been brutally assassinated. His body was found in the bottom of a deep, dry well. We were horrified. So, and then, John, do you want to take it from there in terms of Marcelo, or you want me to keep going? In terms well, of sure, sure. Um, yeah, so, Tom, like uh, many parts of the United States, El Salvador is very water poor. There's just not much of it there. So the residents there took up their work against mining because they, they knew that mining would would deplete or poison their precious river. There's one big river that goes through El Salvador, and if you, if you poison that, you're poisoning the water for over half of the country. Uh, and gold, turns out, they discovered, uses the toxic uh, cyanide to se- separate gold from the rock. So that's why they started fighting against it. They were, that's why we honored them. Uh, and they came to Washington, and normally we just give them the award and they go home. In this case, they asked us for their for our help. They wanted our help both researching the corporation and because, amazingly, one of these big mining companies had sued their government uh, in a court in Washington, D.C., and they didn't know anything about it. So what started as just an award ceremony pretty quickly turned into, as Robin said, 10 years of working with these folks uh, to help them defend their water. And, John, I didn't have in my notes that you were from uh, the Institute for Policy Studies. I've had people from there on the show quite often. In fact, you might say hello to my friend Chuck Collins for me. Of course. Chuck says hello to you, Tom. (laughs) this El Salvador is not alone, but I mean, when you think of the Standing Rock Sioux in North and South Dakota, as we mentioned earlier, the residents of Flint, Michigan, towns from New York to New Mexico that are fighting uh, fracking um, in Bolivia, Canada, France, and here in the U.S., lots of cities are wrestling with what to do about municipal water systems and privatization of those systems um, but what is there something special about El Salvador that everyone in these communities needs to know and and learn well, absolutely absolutely Tom and that's really why we wrote the book so El Salvador is special in and of itself because in early 2017, El Salvador became the first country in the world to unanimously pass a law to ban all mining of metal throughout the country. So it's the first country in the world to do that. They did it to save their water, their water. It's a country that has really one major river, the Lempa River, that right. provides water for over half of the residents of El Salvador, rich, poor, rural, urban. So that's the, that's the uniqueness, but it's also, so we wanted to share that 
because actually the struggle against a big global corporation and privatization and uh, is is not unique. That, as you just said, is happening around the world. So we felt it was really important to write this book, which I should add we did not plan to write when we were working with people in El Salvador. It was only after the two major victories. It was really important to write this book to share the hope because the typical story from these communities is unfortunately the typical story, the, the popular in the mainstream media is that you can't beat corporations. You can beat corporations. You just have to have a number of, you have to be really clever. You have to work with allies. We'll go into that more, I'm sure. But so we wanted, we wanted to share the story of El Salvador, but we also wanted to share it because it has lots of lessons for people around the world who are fighting similar fights. John, maybe you can take this one. How is it that corporations um, aren't interested or, or aren't concerned about water quality because it's their water too? Well, great question, Tom. So the key problem we came up with in El Salvador, but it is in all of these communities across the U.S., is a simple is a simple point about how corporations are set up and chartered. When you get a corporate charter, you're, whether you're a big mining company, a big water company, or, or whatever, you sign a charter that says you are going to maximize profits to your shareholders. That is the mission of a private corporation. And that's where the problem comes up. It's not that bad people work at these corporations. Their job is to maximize profits. So even though, yes, they need clean water, in their job as corporate executives, they have to maximize profits. That means if you're a mining company or an oil or gas company, you're going to go in and you're going to pull out those substances as cheaply as possible. And in all those instances, you both use a lot of water in the process of getting the minerals out, and you threaten polluting them uh, if in the case of a gold mining company, the cyanide goes into the water. So, so that's, that is the problem, and uh, that is also true. You mentioned it, Detroit. M many big water companies have come into U.S. cities, said, look, we can run your municipal water system better than you can. Please sell it off to us. And what you found just up the, the road there in Detroit is that after the city soft, uh, sold off its water system, uh, the company pushed up rates, and then the water uh, the company cut off water to thousands of residents who couldn't pay their bills. So there's a fundamental disconnect between what's good for private corporations and what's good for the public here, and it's led Robin and me to conclude that um, one should never turn water resources uh, over to private corporations, nor allow private corporations to threaten them, and, and El Salvador led the way in showing that you can do that. With, a, with companies like, like the ones in El Salvador that are, that are mining gold, do they just ignore the fact that uh, their processes might be leaching into groundwater and waterways like the river? Tom, you're, you're asking great questions here. So part of what happens with these corporations is, first of all, in places like El Salvador and many other places, the corporations aren't local. 
So in El Salvador, the corporations are from the U.S. The one we, we write about is, is Canadian and then taken over by an even bigger Australian company. They don't, they don't live there, and they, they really they see progress in a very different way. So part of what allowed us to write this book is not only that we, we spent a lot of time with the, what we call the water defenders on the ground in El Salvador, but we also got access to a trove of corporate documents. Some of this was because of the law case, the legal case at the World Bank Group that, that John mentioned, and some of this was just a box of documents that fell into our hands. So it was all legal documents. But what you see from those documents is that part of the problem is the corporations and the, the communities have a very different definition of progress. So the corporations really don't understand that people on the ground care not just about short-term jobs, but they care about the long-term economic, environmental, and social sustainability. So at one point, the CEO of, of this company says in an interview on Canadian um, broadcasting, she says, these are, these are corn and bean farmers. Of course they want mining. Um, so there, there's no real understanding of how dependent, how important water is, or real concern about what happens after the corporations leave. So you know and we know, and the people of El Salvador know, that most of the, the toxic chemicals cannot be cleaned up. But the corporations get 10 to 25-year mining concessions, and then that's not their problem. That's the problem of the, the, the city or the, the country. You know, it's, it's interesting, Tom, if I could just say, I, I know sure. you don't have as much mining in Michigan, but Pennsylvania... 35 years ago, all of the rivers, most of the rivers were yellow, orange, as they are in parts of El Salvador because of the residue of iron from, from years of coal mining. Again, the companies left, and it was the state that was forced to raise hundreds of millions of dollars to re remediate. And it's left us concluding after this work in El Salvador We've got to come up with a way to force corporations to put this money up up front if they are going to mine, and there are large parts of the world like El Salvador where they should never mine. Well, we may not have had uh, mining operations in lower Michigan like they do in El Salvador or even in the upper peninsula of Michigan for copper and so on, but um, we had manufacturing, right. and there was a lot of runoff from that. And and so we've we've wrestled with that. But I want to talk about the uh, the water defenders themselves and and who's testing the water and and what kinds of things they're finding. But I have to take a break here. Um, John Robin, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Uh, of, of course, course we can. Excellent. My uh, guests are the co-authors of The Water Defenders, How Ordinary People Saved a Country from Corporate Greed by Robin Broad and John Cavana. And we'll uh, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, 
we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right Everybody's back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place 
where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms. Indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the co-authors of a book called The Water Defenders, How Ordinary People Saved a Country from Corporate Greed. It's by Robin Broad and John Cavana, and uh, they join me by phone. Uh, Robin, John, thanks for sticking around, and uh, sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, we loved it. It's a magical place. We're delighted to be on your magical place. Um, here in Flint, we um, well, let me let me put this in context a little bit. Back in in the, the previous segment, John was talking about the dangers of privatizing um, public waterways and, and municipal water systems and so on. But we found in Flint some problems with the the government agencies and institutions that were supposed to be running the water systems and testing the water and and so on um and and even where there wasn't malfeasance there there was certainly there were cases of misfeasance and nonfeasance and it it, it led to the birth of a, a a group of people we started referring to as citizen scientists and that's really my question um, leading into this segment um, for one or the other or both of you is who the water defenders were and, and who was responsible for um, tracking what was showing up in public waterways. Um, well, the the water defenders of El Salvador are, are definitely were definitely citizen scientists, Tom. It's, it's a great term. Um, the water, well, these are just simply regular folks who learned how are, to test water and, and understand what they were finding. Well, the first thing they had to do was understand mining. So this, the, the water defenders, this tale begins in northern El Salvador, which is the poorest part of El Salvador. Um, there was no mining. There had been no mining there for some decades. And as the price of gold went up in the global market, the mining companies started ex- looking to explore in places like northern El Salvador. And at first, the people in northern El Salvador, who later became the water defenders, they were actually, they admitted to us, they were very excited about the prospect of mining companies coming. They, the mining companies said they were going to bring jobs and prosperity. These people needed jobs and prosperity. But they were smart enough, and this is where, um, as you saw in, in Flint, very ordinary people have the, the, the capability of doing extraordinary things. So they were smart enough to say, oh, but we need to know more. And so they started looking around for mining mines that were nearby, and it just so happened right across the Lempa River, that giant river in northern El Salvador, is Honduras. And so 
people and the main water defenders were Marcelo who who was assassinated, his brother Miguel, and um a woman farmer named Vidalina Morales and and a handful of other people. They actually went to Honduras to see what the mines were. And there they discovered the horrific social, environmental, and economic costs of mining. And this is really important. So they discovered these big open craters. Um, they discovered that the mining with dead, where the water was filled with dead fish. And they discovered that when the mining companies came in, they brought with them social conflict. And that they didn't even bring the number of jobs that were that were promised. Most of the jobs, the the good paying jobs, went to people who were not from the area. So they came back to El Salvador and they started sharing this information. And then they took they actually took some courses. They studied hydrology. They studied geology. They learned about they learned that industrial mining uses cyanide to get the <coughs> the gold out of the rock, and then. In this in this area in northern El Salvador, as well in a, as in about half of mining places around half of places where there are metals around the world, when you use the cyanide to get to remove the gold from the rock, arsenic is released. So you have cyanide and arsenic in your water and in your land. And these were this is largely a farming area. Well, whether it's farming or or not, people need water. So this is how they began their their understanding that jobs alone, short-term jobs, was not enough. Was there a government agency that um, was responsible for monitoring and, and setting certain allowable levels of, of chemicals in water? You know, there is uh, in El Salvador and most countries an agency that does take care of water, but but in poor countries, Tom, and this is the reality, um, and you, you felt it in Flint, in poor countries, they simply don't have the resources to send people around to test waters. So it really is in, in these countries, these instances, left up to individuals. You did, you know, the story of Flint is one where uh, it's less a story of corporate greed and more a story of of the government messing up. And we, I think, we're learning a lot about that in the United States. Um, and the Flint story, by the way, has become a beacon of of uh, all around the world of the dangers to to uh, water systems, and also a huge motivator of. I'm sure you've talked about this on other shows, Tom, but. There is a giant bill in Congress, this big bill that, that's you know, called the infrastructure bill, this, this big bill that Biden hopes to pass in the fall. It would pump $55 billion into new pipes. I, you, you pointed out to the world that we cannot live with lead water pipes, and there is now, I think, a national desire uh, to, to change all of them. Um, so at times the government messes up, but still, it was our conclusion that we've got to keep these water systems out of the hands of, of large corporations. And I think maybe the lesson of both Flint and El Salvador is it's only going to work if there's strong community involvement, community oversight, and communities continuing to demand for the monitoring 
as you just pointed out, Tom, the monitoring of water uh, in, in some areas in the U.S., it's done three times a day. That's the way it should be both around the country and around the world. And if I could briefly yes. add, the way it works with mining in, in most countries around the world is that when mining companies want to come in, first they have to get a license to explore, and then they have to get a and then if they find enough gold or silver or copper or whatever to feel it's worthwhile profitably for them, they then apply for a mining concession, permission to actually mine. What happened in El Salvador, this is where the government gets involved in, in a mining project license. So what happened in El Salvador is the company Pacific Rim, then Oceana Gold, Pacific Rim got permission to explore, <coughs> and it found much more gold than it expected. And then when it applied to the government agency in the, in the Ministry of Economics for permission to mine, it had to include an environmental impact assessment. These companies hire consultants to do their environmental impact assessments. Governments do not do them, typically. <coughs> they just accept it from the companies, and what was, what was surprising in this case is that a conservative government was in power, and it, having been clued by the water defenders of northern El Salvador that there might be environmental problems, the government did not accept that environmental impact statement assessment. It sent it back to the company and said, we need more information, and the company was p totally unprepared for this. And that's when, that's what led the government, the, the company, to sue the government of El Salvador in this court, in the World Bank Group. And the company said, basically, we're not going to, we don't have to do any more. We're not going to do any more. You just have to let us mine. I know with companies that, that do fracking, when they're pressed by government agencies and, and citizen watch groups, they claim proprietary procedures as a way to not report some of the chemicals that they're using in their processes. Is that true in mining as well? You know, they do a similar thing in mining, but the, here's the great, the great uh, thing about it is that everybody knows they're using cyanide. That's used in over 95% of big industrial mines around the world. So all the proprietary uh, claims by corporations don't stop that, and and you watch the cyanide actually being being shipped in. So it's pretty clear cut what the problem is. What the companies say is, and this is what they said in El Salvador. They said we are a great company. We will we have all the best safety precautions in the world. If you just visited our big mine in the Philippines, you would see that. We'll make sure none of this cyanide leaks out. And this was one of the great twists in this story, and it shows the ingenuity of, of people. I know you all in Flint did a lot of this on your own, but you sometimes invited in other experts. Sure. In this case, Robin and I had been to the mine of this company in northern Philippines. We had seen the horrors that Robin just described, very similar to the horrors in Honduras. So we were able to invite the governor, very good governor of this province in northern Philippines, to El Salvador. He testified before Congress. He showed before and after photos of a beautiful mountain and then this horrible, polluted, open pit. 
And that helped turn a number of both the people and the legislators against mining. So the mining companies will claim they use the term, we're a green mining company, we're a sustainable mining company, but there is no way to make a process that uses cyanide green or sustainable. And just to give one example, and this, this goes back to the companies not really respecting or understanding how the smarts of the people on the ground, the company would do things like hold public forum where it would stand in front of, of dozens of people and say, this is cyanide, here's a sample of cyanide, cyanide is safe, and I'm going to eat it right now and you will see that it does nothing to me. And as one of the, as Marcelo's brother Miguel said to us, they just thought, and this is, I'm slightly paraphrasing a quote, they thought we were ignorant peasants with big hats. But, <laughs> but they were not ignorant peasants. Yes, they had big hats, but you would too if you were under that tropical sun. Um, so the, the people attending said, okay, let's go get certified cyanide, and then we'll give it to you, and then you can eat it. Um, and show us that it's safe. And, of course, then that whole PR stunt fell apart. You mentioned in the, in the previous segment that we did um, that, that one of the water defenders was assassinated. Is there reason to believe that was because of their activism? Oh, you know, was... yeah, go ahead, Robin. No, you go ahead. It's fine. No, I'll just simply say that um, immediately the people in the community suspected it was the mining company that, that uh, killed or ordered him killed. No evidence has been found uh, to verify that. However, here, here's the fact, and we pointed out in the book, being an environmental defender or a water defender is the most dangerous profession in the nonprofit world in Latin America. Um, Hundreds of people are killed in these countries, and it is because the mining companies are dangling so much money. Uh, it's actually not much money for the mining companies, but it's millions of dollars. It's huge in countries like El Salvador, and the way they work is they give 1% of their profits to the local government and one to the national government. So for the local government officials, this is enormous, and any people who stand in the way of mining then become huge enemies. And so the deeper suspicion, and this is what's been borne out in other communities across Latin America, is that local mayors hire thugs to kill opponents. And that's why it's so dangerous. So it's clear it was because of his activism. Marcelo Rivera was, as Robin mentioned, an amazing educator. He, he was a cultural worker. He used theater. He used laughter. He used dance to educate people about water. So he was about the most effective person on the ground there, and if you desperately wanted mining, he was the one you wanted to get rid of. And it's important also for your listeners to know that um, while Marcelo was the obvious one um, to, to murder because he was the most effective, you would have loved him. We never had the chance to meet him, but we, we've heard lots of stories of him. He has your sense of, he had your sense of, of humor, Tom, rather than calling things <laughs> protests. He had people wear red clown noses, and he called them comedy events or fun things. So he wasn't a you know, grim and determined activist. He, he loved a good practical joke, um, but he also obviously loved his, 
his hometown and his home country. But there were there were at least three other people who were also murdered. Three other water defendants defenders. Two of them were connected with the right wing party. They were local members of the right wing party, and we think or the, the suspicion is that they were murdered because of that, because the water defenders had such a, a strong case and, and had, were growing so many allies that it wasn't just progressives who were against mining. It wasn't just the so-called left-wing political parties. It also grew, extended into local and national members of the more conservative parties. So those were two other people who were assassinated. And then the, the, uh, a student was assassinated. His crime was simply he was putting up a poster against mining. That's what he was, he was done, and he was disappeared and, and killed. So this is, you know, these are, these are, these are real people. Um, and I still get goosebumps when I when I talk about them, but but we mourn them. But we we also, as John said, these are these are examples. These are happening in hundreds of cases around the world, thousands every year. People are killed simply for wanting to protect their water. And in the process of researching this book, did you do a lot of the research? in El Salvador, and did you yourselves feel threatened at all? You know, we did a lot of the research there. We went back and forth every year. Part of this was since they'd asked for our help and the help of the Institute for Policy Studies, we were building a set of allies internationally who were protesting at the tribunal, who were writing letters, who were going to the company meetings. So we needed to build trust. And a lot of that was built by bringing Vidalina and Miguel and others to the U.S. and Canada and then Australia, and us sending people down there. So that's part of what made this such an interesting story. They would not have won both the court case against the mining company and uh, convincing their legislature to become the first in the world to ban all mining to save their rivers if it weren't for both their extraordinary coalition uh, experiences and, and well, coalition building on the ground and the building of these, of these international alliances. And a lot of the research, by the way, part of it was, as Robin said, documents fell in our lap. Part of it, though, was simply interviewing everybody involved so that we could tell the story. The story is not a dry story. It's a story told through the voices of the water defenders on the ground and the likely and unlikely allies they found along the way, both in, an El, in El Salvador and around the world. Was there, is there a, a moment of, of clearly declared victory in this story? Because we're, we're still wrestling with, with our issues in Flint. Uh, you know, we're, we're not at that point where we've been able to say, hard and fast mission accomplished so amazingly enough um, there were actually two moments of two very clear victories in in this story one the first came in October 2016 when this court at the World Bank group that we've been talking about after seven years 
seven years of this lawsuit, this case filed by the mining company against the government of El Salvador. The the case, the lawsuits from the mining company said, you, uh, you the government of El Salvador, you can't put in place environmental regulations. You either have to let us mine or you have to pay us $300 million. The corporations typically win in this arbitration um, venue. That probably won't surprise you or your listeners. They have a lot more money. They have a lot more power. But in part because of the, the strength of the social movement in El Salvador, which got the government on their side, and in part because of the international allies, that that arbitration venue in October 2016, the three tribunalists actually surprisingly ruled against the mining company. This is really rare, but that was a clear victory. The second clear victory, that opened the door to the second clear victory, which happened in late March 2017, which was when, as, as we talked about earlier, when the, the Congress of El Salvador unanimously passed the world's first law banning all mining of metals in El Salvador. That law is on the books. Um, there is no indication that the current or subsequent governments of El Salvador are going to change that law. Of course, that can always happen. But the social movement is so strong in El Salvador that all the parties, all the political parties know that they would suffer defeat in the polls if they moved to change that law. Well, this book tells a fascinating story that I'm sure would be of interest to anyone who is uh, interested in protecting water and other natural resources. It's called The Water Defenders, How Ordinary People Saved a Country from Corporate Greed by Robin Broad and John Cavana. Um, Robin, John, uh, we, we've just got about two minutes left, and I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, the book, and your work, past, present, and future. Uh, do you both have websites, or is there some place that people can go to to learn more? Obviously, the book is a great place to start. Sure. You can find out a lot more about Robin at American University. Uh, she's a professor there, and you can see her bio and also her email address. Same for me at the Institute for Policy Studies. Uh, and there you can also, if you're still not convinced, you can read reviews of the Water Defenders. Uh, and then you can buy the book wherever you buy books. I hope it's your local bookstore. But Beacon Press is the publisher. You can buy it there. Penguin Random House, you can buy it there. Uh, thank you, Tom, for, for giving us this opportunity. Well, Robin, John, thank you both for uh, spending this time with me, and, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Thanks. and you too, all of you in Flint, keep up the good work. All right, take Thanks care. Thanks so much. Great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Once again, the name of the book is uh, The Water Defenders, How Ordinary People Saved a Country from Corporate Greed by Robin Broad and John Cavana. 
And we're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in uh, next, but we have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. If you're listening to us on WFOV, our voices radio in Flint, they are 92.1 LPFM, a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. But we'll be back with uh, more of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program right after this. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. 
Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. One, two, three, four, five. Once again now roll the boat ashore Hallelujah Michael roll the boat ashore keep it rolling Hallelujah Everybody hum Wait a second Dickie Dick we we hum it this I want to go back to the start and take it one more time from the top Oh, Michael, row the boat ashore. I'd just like everybody to join in this time. Okay, one more time. Okay. Right. Gang, in a world torn asunder by strife and by unhappiness, what sound in the world enters into our heart and brings love and brotherhood but the sound of people's voices joining together and singing? So let's roof the rafters, people. Let's fill this room with the most joyous sound known to man. People. People singing. For in the ether of the air, in the great sky of, of, the, of the faraway land, fill the sky, the musical sky, with voices intertwining themselves in a giant choral arrangement like colors in your mind and lines going up and down as the voices of people join together. So friends, let's fill this room with love. Let's fill this room with music and song. For people driving by, maybe outside, they'll be in their car and we'll be in here singing, they'll be driving by, and, and as they drive by, they'll probably say, What the hell's going on? Let's sing out now, friends. Michael, row the boat ashore. Sing out. Which guy? The girl, the guy with the the girl with the blonde hair. You the weren't singing that... very well there. Would you join in with us and fill it? You will. You will. You'll sing with us now, huh? Go ahead. Here we go, gang. 
something different. Well, I have an idea that I like. Why don't we, gang, why don't people with love in your hearts, uh, let's already... all show our love. Let's all open, let's start the hum, go back to the, take it from the top of the hum. Top of the hum. But this time, let's all hum with our mouths open. Well, but, well why do you want to do that? We'll get more volume. If well, we... why do you, we have plenty of volume. Why do you want more volume? So that Michael can hear us. Maybe even Ralph will hear us. <laughs> you hear us also. <laughs> so, gang, let's all hum with our mouths open this time and get Tommy, a little more volume. That's a nice idea. Really, that's a great idea. But you so, cannot hum with your mouth open. Yes, you do. All you you have don't to... ask anybody to hum with their mouth open. Yes, all you have you to can't do... do that. You so old. Listen, if you tried to hum with your mouth open, you could hurt yourself. That's too bad. Yeah. So he is. I tell you what, if you want more volume, why don't you ask everybody to ah? I mean, not just a regular ah, but like this. Ah, 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 ah. See? It's louder, it's easy to do, and if you ask everybody in this entire room to ah together in unison to Michael, you will experience a thrilling, exciting, vibrant, it'll be a, a vibrant experience. Tremendous. Let's all open up our hummers now and all all together, okay? Everybody except you. You hum with your mouth open. <laughs> ah, another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner.